Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Joshua chapter 23, when you have it, would you please stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm only going to read verse number five in your hearing today. Joshua chapter 23, beginning at verse number five, when you have it, won't you say, I got it. If you're still looking, don't worry about it, it's on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord, it says, the Lord your God. He will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you. And you will possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised you. It says the Lord your God, he will thrust them out. Somebody say thrust them out from before you and drive them. Somebody say drive them before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised. Amen. Before you take your seat, look at your neighbor. Help me announce my sermon subject. Say neighbor, read the fine print. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Read the fine print. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Read the fine print. Last week, uh, God told me to announce to us that we are in a season of graduation. That it wasn't graduation day, but it is a season, a period of promotion that God has decided by his grace and by his mercy to take a little group of us to the next level. Some of us might not have been able to get excited about that, but then there are some of us who have spent so long on this level that whenever God tells us that it's time to graduate, we get excited. Because the truth of the matter is we're tired of going around the same way and being the same way and doing the same thing and struggling the same old way all the time. We want God to take us to another place. And is there anybody in the building who can be honest about the fact that you're tired of being where you are, that you're tired of dealing with what you've dealt with? You're tired of the same old enemies, the same old struggles, the same old oppositions, the same old attitudes, the same old people dealing with you in the same old way. And you want God to take you to another place. You want God to graduate you. It's not even that you're tired of struggling. You're just tired of struggling like that. God, give me some different kind of problems. God, 
God, I don't want money problems anymore. God, I don't want mental problems anymore. I don't want to deal with uh, uh, my mind and anxiety and depression any longer. God, I need you to take me to another place. And because deep on the inside, we desire to go to another level. Because deep on the inside, we want to go to another place. We get excited whenever God tells us that it's time for promotion. Is there anybody here who gets excited about promotion? Who gets excited about the declaration that this year, uh, when you look back next year at this year, you're going to be in a different place with a different credit score, with a different bank account balance, with different relationships. You're going to be a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more committed to God next year because God is taking you higher but what we never find out about in church, because preachers don't like to preach it because it'll take down their offerings, is every time God pronounces promotion on your life, he simultaneously invites problems into your life. Well, how? Uh, let me say it this way. Whenever God announces graduation, he then invites tribulation. Because the only thing that can stop you from graduating when God declares that it is graduation season is if you refuse to walk across the stage. Satan cannot stop you from graduating. He can't disqualify you from your promotion. There is nothing that he can bring up to God about your past that he does not already know. God knew how trifling you were, how nasty you were how rebellious you were when he decided to promote you and he promoted you anyhow he knew how uncommitted you were how often you missed church how you don't always honor him with your mind and your body and your talent and your money and still he decided to promote you anyhow and the devil understands that he cannot stop nor can he block you from getting to the place that God wants you to be the only thing he can do is introduce trouble into your life that makes you abort the plan of God for your life before you get across the finish line that's why when God told you you were going higher everything in your life started looking the opposite because Satan wants you to believe that God is a liar Satan wants you to believe that if you were really going to be promoted why are you dealing with sickness in your body now and why are you broke right now if God said it's a season of elevation why are you depressed right now why are you dealing with anxiety right now why is your money funny why are your friends walking away from you if this is really supposed to be a season of promotion then why am I dealing with pain right now and what believers need to understand is just like when you enter into a contract with a loan at the bank just like when you enter into a business deal you need to realize don't just shout about the declaration of promotion but you've got to read the fine print of the covenant of God because what the fine print says is yes you're going to be promoted yes I'm going to take you higher but I am also going to allow the devil to attack you so that when I finally get you to where I've called you to be the devil will understand that he does not have any power over how I promote you God is going to allow the devil to attack you and he's still going to bring you out God's going to allow the devil to mess with your money and to mess with your mind and to aggravate you with anxiety but he's still going to take you to the place that he promise because he wants you to know that when you get there can't nobody take credit for this but the Lord himself that's good news for you beloved because just like Joshua and the people of God in our text you got to understand now that God 
promised them that they were going to be promoted. God promised them that they were going to cross over into the land that he had showed them. But also when he when they got there, what they found out was that there were giants in the land. God help me. Oh, God tells them. He says, yeah, I'm going to take you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you into a land that has giant grapes and uh, uh, is a prosperous land, a land that will allow you to eat good in the land and your children will be blessed. But what you got to understand is when you get there, there are giants in the land. God help me. Oh, God. God tells them, I'm going to give you the land. You're going to get what I promise. But when you get there, you're going to have to fight to get what I got you. God, help me. Oh, God, you missed it. Let me run it back and say it slow. I'm going to give you the land. As a matter of fact, I've already given you the land, but when you get into the land, you're going to have to fight to get what I already got you. God, help me. Let me say it again. God says, I'm going to give you the land. As a matter of fact, I've already given you the land, but when you get into the land, you're going to have to fight so that you can get what I already got you. God says that when you get in the land beloved there's going to be a fight not for you to take possession of it but there's going to be a fight to see if you can be frustrated out of graduation by your tribulation will tribulation make you give up on your promotion will adversity make you walk away from your elevation is there anybody here who knows that after God gave you a word you had to fight harder than you've ever fought in your life after God told you to start that business you got broke than you've ever been in your life. People who are blowing up your phone wouldn't take your call anymore. People that said they had your back wasn't there for you. God says the reason why that happens is because before elevation comes tribulation. With promotion comes problems. God help me. So now when we get to our text Joshua chapter 3 the Bible says that Joshua is now giving his farewell address. He's getting ready to get up out of here now. He's walked with the children of Israel for a very long time, and he's telling them, look here, I've started the conquest. I've divvied up the promised land. Joshua tells them, uh, he tells them, he says, look, uh, this part of the land belongs to this tribe. This part of the land belongs to that tribe. This part of that land belongs to this tribe, but they haven't possessed it yet. Joshua tells them, to play uh, a geographical game of that's my car. Y'all, y'all too millennial for that. Y'all, y'all, y'all understand? Uh, being broke and uh, sitting on the porch, and you ain't had no money for your parents to get you a car. You would sit and watch the cars pass by. And when you saw one that you liked, you'd be like, "That's my car." Yeah. Uh, you didn't have the money to get a car. You didn't have the possibility to get the car. But by faith, you would just sit on the porch and say, "That's my car." Joshua tells the children of Israel to pick out the territory that they want and to know that when they pick out the territory that they're going to have to fight to get the territory. But what he does is he encourages them by telling them in verse number five of chapter 23 that when you get there, God is going to fight for you to make sure that you get everything that you're supposed to get. So he said that there were giants in the land but don't worry because you serve a God that is a giant killer. God, help me. You missed it. If you had a call, you would have shouted. See, see, I, I don't get 
mad about cockroaches if I got an exterminator in the house. I, I, I don't get mad about being hungry if I got a chef in the house. And God says you don't become afraid of giants if you got a giant killer that's walking with you. That's what he tells the children of Israel. He says, yes, there are giants in the land, but you need to shout because as you walk into the promised land, you serve a giant killing God. So I got to ask you now, what is your giant? Is it a giant of debt? Is it a giant of depression? Is it a giant of anxiety? Is it a giant of low self-esteem? Is it a giant of daddy issues? Is it a giant of mommy issues? Is it a giant of poverty? God said, whatever the giant is, don't trip about it because I specialize in killing giants. As a matter of fact, he tells them specifically how he's going to handle it. Uh, he says, verse 5, he said, the Lord your God, this is Joshua talking, he will thrust them out before you. And he will drive them from before you. Oh God, he will thrust them out from before you. And he will drive them. Somebody say, thrust them. Now say, drive them. Yeah, he says, I'm, go I'm going to thrust them out. Literally, in the Hebrew, what that word means, it means to push them back from. It, it is uh, a sign of protection. God help me. Uh, he he's saying that I am going to protect you in the land from anything that would try to hurt you in the land. I am going to be your shield and a barrier. God help me. Uh, uh, he's, he's not saying that enemies are not going to come. Adrian. He's, he's not promising you that adversity will not attack you. Uh, as a matter of fact, by saying he's going to thrust them out, Sophia, he is almost promising that adversity is going to come. But what he says is, in the midst of adversity, I am going to thrust them out. Huh. Uh, uh, the, the, the Hebrew language is very picturesque, and, and the best way I can describe it, anybody watch basketball in here? Uh, uh, it's almost like uh, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. Pray for us. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rebuilding season. Amen. I'm just praying that God will be true to his word and the last will be first uh, next season. Um, but I like Steph, Steph Curry uh, and, and Draymond Green. I like the way they play together. Uh, and the reason I like it is because when Steph has problems getting open because he's one of the top scorers in the league, what Draymond will do is he'll take his body and use his body as a barrier between Steph and the defender so that Steph can get open. Now, I didn't play basketball. I played football. So I had to ask somebody who played basketball, what, what is that maneuver called? What is that called when Steph is running and, and, and Draymond comes and puts his body in between the defender and Steph so that Steph can get free and make a shot? And what he told me is that's called setting a screen. When, when, when your teammate that's bigger than you gets in between the defender that's after you and blocks the defender with their own body, that's called setting a screen. God help me. I wish somebody would get it. And God says that when you come into the land, there are going to be enemies that are 
are chasing you, preventing you, trying to prevent you from possessing what I've already promised you. But I'm not going to let them touch you. As a matter of fact, the text says that he's going to put his own body in between you and the defender so that you'll be free to possess the land. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God said when you get in the land, he's going to thrust them out from before you. Yeah. Uh, but not only does he say, Mike, he's going to thrust them out. He said he's going to drive them. Now, on the surface, that almost sounds the same. It sounds a little redundant in English, but I thank God that the Bible is not a white evangelical book. It's an African book, and uh, it's not written in English. Uh, and that's why uh, if you're preaching the text, you got to learn how to read more than just your Bible because sometimes the language gets lost in translation. Because when he says, I will drive them, it's not the same as thrusting them. But literally, the Hebrew word for drive, Sherrod, means to snatch away and to dispossess. It means that there are people who are in possession of a thing. But because someone who is stronger than them wants you to have what belongs to them, he steps in and takes it from them. But he doesn't put it in your hand. He puts it in your path so that you have to walk into it. God help me. You missed it. Uh, uh, people have what he wants you to have. So because he wants you to have it, he steps in and takes it from them. But he's not that kind of a father where he's just going to give you a freebie. So he doesn't put it in your hand. He puts it in your path so that you have to walk into. God, help me. You missed it again. God said, there are people in the land that have the thing that I want you to have. But I want you to have it. And because I'm stronger than them, I'm going to step in and take it from them. But instead of putting it in your hand so that you don't become entitled. And because I want you to learn how to fight. And because I want you to keep on praying and praising and fasting and walking. I don't put it in your hand. I put it in your path so that you can walk into it. And God says that there are enemies in your life that have something that you feel like belongs to you. But God said, not only am I going to set a screen and protect you from them, but I'm going to take what's theirs and put it in your hand. God help me. Put it in your path so that it winds up in your hand. God help me. God said, I don't, don't worry about what the wicked people have. Don't worry about how blessed people who don't tithe are. Don't worry about how people who don't love God got more than what you got. Because God said that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the... Oh, God, I wish now. Come on here. I, I, I got to get out of here now. But, but is there anybody here who's glad that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just? You can't shout about that because you don't even understand what that means. Uh, when, 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 the, when the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked, the, the, the text says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just. But what the text is actually saying, it's painting us a picture. It's saying that the righteous people have a bank. And that wicked people have a bank. And that righteous people put their money in the righteous bank. But the wicked people are always attacking the righteous bank. But the wicked people put their money in the wicked bank. And no one seems to ever attack the wicked bank. So while the righteous are struggling, the wicked are stacking up their money. The wicked are building their finances and building their wealth and building their kingdom. While the righteous people seem to be struggling just to leave something for their children's children. But God is so great and he's so big that while the wicked are 
storing up their wealth, thinking they're going to get to enjoy it. God allows the bank of the wicked to become full. And when he's ready to turn the tables, he takes all the money that they've been storing for themselves and turns it over to the righteous. That's why you can't trip when people who don't serve God seem to be being blessed by God. Because God is just storing that up for you when he gets ready to bless you. Because the wealth of the wicked is about to be driven to the righteous. Verse 5. He says, the Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you. Somebody say, thrust them out. And he will drive them from before you. Somebody say, drive them. And you will possess the land. And you're not just going to possess it any old kind of way. But he says, you're going to possess it just as the Lord your God has promised. God, help me. Uh, uh, he didn't say you're going to possess it in an ugly way. God, help me. Uh, he didn't say that you're going to possess it, Coriana, by the skin of your teeth. Yeah. He says you're going to possess it just as the Lord your God has promised. Now, you can't get excited about that because you haven't read your Bible enough to remember how he promised that they were going to possess it. He didn't say that they were going to possess it raggedy, with worn out clothes, skin and bones, barely making it. But the Lord told them, just as they walked out of Egypt, would they walk into the promised land. Now this is a problem for me, because they walked out of Egypt as a mighty company with gold and silver, great in number. But in the wilderness, God killed a whole generation of people. As a matter of fact, they spent a great deal of their wealth building the tabernacle and the ark of the Lord God. But God says, in spite of what you lost in the wilderness, when I take you into the land, you're not going to walk in it as you are right now, God help me. But you're going to walk into it just as I said, God help me. Which means that maybe God is prolonging your entrance into the promise because he's trying to set you up so that you can walk into it just the way God help me. Stop rushing God and stop putting ultimatums on God and stop trying to tell God God I got to be married by this time and God I got to have my kids by this time and God I got to have my degree by this time and God I got to have this job and make a certain amount of money and have a house by this time. God says no. I don't want you to walk in the way your mama walked in. I don't want you to walk in the way your daddy walked in. I don't want you to walk in the way everybody else walked in. God said I want you to walk in just as I promised you. He says, you're going to make it in. AJ, I missed you. He says, you're going to walk in just as the Lord your God has promised. But if you're going to possess the promise, if it's really going to be graduation season, then you got to read the fine print. You got to read the fine print. There are some things that I require from you. If I'm going to fight the giants in the land. Yeah. Verse number six. He says, first of all, if I'm going to fight your giants in the land, 
You've got to be careful to obey my word. Yeah, you've got to be careful to obey my word. He says, be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. He says, you've got to obey my word. Here is why many of us will not win the battles that God wants us to win. It is not because we don't love God. It is not because we're not churchy. It's not even because some of us aren't worshipers, but some of us don't know how to obey God's word. Hear this in tight places. Yeah. Yeah. We can obey God's word in easy places. But when obedience rubs up against the desires of our flesh or when obedience runs, rubs up against the desires of our heart, of our inner man, then we don't want to be obedient anymore. We can be obedient as long as we haven't lost our temper. We can be holy as long as the devil's not playing with our mind. But when the devil starts messing with our mind and with our flesh and when we have desires that are competing with the will of God for our life, we don't want to obey God's word. As a matter of fact, we try to change God. God's word and manipulate God's word to fit our lifestyle instead of conforming our lives to fit the word of God. We try to weasel our way out of obedience and we hear the word of the Lord saying in Hebrews 10 25 not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together but when we've had a late Saturday night we lay in the bed past church time and say God knows our heart but God said that if you want to be blessed in this season of your life you've got to learn you've got to learn You've got to learn, God help me, how to obey the word of the law. We hear God say, bring ye all of the tithe, not a part of it, not a piece of it, into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. But when we love money more than we love God, we start telling ourselves little lies like the tithe don't apply anymore. And we're under grace now and we don't have to do that stuff. And God don't need your money. That's the preacher asking for your money. And then you wonder why your life is still jacked up and you know enough scripture. Oh God but you don't have enough power to blow your nose. It's because God is looking for obedience in the land. So you've got to be careful to obey the word in the land. But then verse 7. Oh. You've got to reject rebellious relationships. Oh. Uh, you've got to reject rebellious relationships, relationships that will lead you into rebellion. Look at what he says, verse 7. He says, you will not associate with these nations which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or, by, or bow down to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You won't associate with these nations or mention the name of their gods. God help me. Uh, can I tell you the biggest threat to your destiny? The biggest threat to your destiny is not the devil. The biggest threat to your destiny is a relationship that causes you to question your yes. God help me. Oh God. Oh. Notice now that he doesn't tell them to protect themselves from sex. He doesn't say protect themselves from greed. He tells them not to enter into covenant with people who are going to try to change the God that they worship. God help me. 
Oh, God. Now, oh, uh, when someone comes into your life and they change the God that you worship into another God, God help me, okay, you don't get it. So now you're considering a person's feelings more than you're considering the assignment of God for your life. Now you're considering where a person wants you to be and where a person wants you to put your money in. What you can do for a person and what you've done is you've now entered into romantic relational idolatry. No, you do not worship Baal. No, you don't worship Ashtaroth. No, you don't worship the gods of earth, wind, and fire, but you're in love with somebody. Uh, you're in covenant with a person that is now trying to change the way you worship. Uh, notice, notice the text, verse 7. I'm still in the text. He says, you will not associate with these nations which remain among you. There are some nations that God commanded the people to completely wipe out. But then there are some that he spared and let them live among the people. But he didn't allow people who were not the people of God to live among the people of God so that the people who were not the people of God could influence the people of God. He let people who were not the people of God live among the people of God so that the people of God could influence them to become the people of God. Can I tell you the problem with the church? We're so celebrity driven and we're so caught up on Kanye and we're so caught up on everything else that's happening that we've allowed the world to make us like them instead of influencing the world to become like the church. Uh, we've, we've, we've allowed them to change who we worship and who we idolize and who we give our adoration to instead of changing the culture. That's why now preachers can't preach holiness because they spent too much time living unholy in front of the world to see. We can't worship God right because people question whether or not our worship is real because we shout in here and then lie on our taxes out there. We'll praise God in here and be nasty customers in a restaurant out there but God says don't allow the people around you to influence you but you need to influence those people who are around you you've got to reject rebellious relationships you've got to reject anything that will make you change your allegiance to God you you've got to reject if you know that God has told you something it don't matter if you're struggling through it and you don't get it right all the time at least you're walking in the right direction but don't get with somebody that'll tell you oh it's okay uh you don't have to worry about that matter of fact why do they require all that of you anyway why why are you doing all of that the devil is a liar that sound like sin in the garden of Eden did God really say that you had to do all of that did God really say yes he said it and I know I'm struggling through it and I know I might not be right all the time but I'm not going to deny that he said it because I don't change the words to fit me I change myself be not conformed to this word but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind I got to quit so he says he says, you've got to commit to obey the word of the Lord. You've got to reject rebellious relationships. But then thirdly, and I'm through, you've got to hold on to God. Verse 8 says, 
But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. Verse 8 says, but you are to cling. Oh, God, to the Lord your God. Oh, you got to hold on to your relationship with God. Oh, God, the, the, the text tells them, he's telling them, he says, look, you've got to cling to God. And there are two reasons, beloved, and then I'm done, uh, why you've got to cling to God. The first reason that you've got to cling to God is because there are going to be things in the land that try to pull you away from God. See, prosperity for the uncommitted is a snare because you will begin to worship your prosperity rather than the God that prospered you. That's why some of you keep hitting the glass ceiling in your life because God knows that you can only handle a certain amount of victory, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of prosperity because you don't serve him right as it is. So because of his mercy, he gives you enough to let you know that he's still with you, but he won't let you go to the next level because prosperity will jack you up because you uncommitted. Oh God. And so what Joshua says to the people is when you get in the land and the land is flowing with milk and honey, don't let prosperity make you go away from God but hold on to him even when everything is trying to pull you away okay I'm a pragmatist I like to see things in the real so can I help you what does it look like to hold on to God when you're walking into graduation season okay when God graduates you on that job and they bless you with promotion and with income and with more perks and and with more benefits and then they say hey we need you two Sundays a month that's when you cling to God uh, that's when you tell them hey Hey, uh, serving God is what got me here. So I can't miss no Sundays. Now, if I can come in after church, if I can come in before church, if I can do something like that, work from home on Sunday evening, I'll do it that way. But I'm not going to let go of God to grab on to something that God gave me. Oh, God, what does it look to cling to God Oh, when he graduates you? When you walk into that relationship, single people, when you go into that place that you've been praying for God to take you, when he said, finally send you somebody and all your friends are saying what a man what a man what a man what a mighty good man and that man says hey uh, let's not go to church this weekend and go to St. Augustine and kick it you better tell him no uh, we can kick it after church we can kick it on Sunday and come back late Saturday or Saturday and come back late Saturday night we can kick it Friday kick it Saturday but I'm not missing church because I spent too much time praying for what I thought was you for you to let you take me away from what God is doing in my life God says you got to cling to him I want to help you yeah I, I, I. he says cling to God because there are going to be things in the land that prevent you that try to prevent you from holding on to God uh, but then the second reason why you got to cling to God is because the same God see God is promising to kill giants on their behalf. But these are not the first giants that God has had to kill on their behalf. God has killed giants before. And so what Joshua tells them is that the reason why you got to hold on to God is because the same God that killed giants before 
you got into the land is going to be the same God that kills giants when you get into the land. God, help me. Uh, see, that's, that's too simple for some of you. Some of you were looking for something more clever than that. But you got to understand that God brought you here. Yeah. And God is going to take you the rest of the way. God, help me. Oh, God. I, I, let me say that one more time uh, for the people in the back. God, God said, I brought you here. And I'm going to take you the rest of the way. God, help me. That, that, that every journey, every battle, every struggle that's coming in the promised land. God, help me. God said, I'm going to take you the rest of the way. Now, I know I'm not going to ask y'all to read the rest of the story. Because after Joshua, there's a book called Judges. And Judges tells the story of the rest of the conquest of the land. Israel has to fight for the land. But the Bible says that every time Israel thought that they would be taken over. Every time that Israel thought that they were going to lose every time that they thought they couldn't take it anymore the bible said that god raised up a man or a woman he raised up somebody to fight uh, fight giants on their behalf and god told me to tell you that when you get into the land the same god that brought you here is going to take you over there okay i, I know this is an old song but y'all but y'all y'all probably know it. it it's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But here's the part I like. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace that will lead me on. And what the songwriter is saying is that the same thing that brought me from there is going to take me over here. Okay. Tough crowd. Uh, let me close it this way. Uh, uh, I was on the phone with one of my buddies, and he travels and preaches a whole lot more than me. And I told him what I was trying to preach. I was in the back, and I was on the phone with him. I said, Doc, uh, I got this message, and uh, I'm trying to close it. Uh, but I don't have a story that I can use to close it. He said, well, man, we're brothers. You can use mine. And so I said, uh, tell me a story I can use. He said, man, one, one time I was preaching uh, in Connecticut and uh, Bridgeport is real close to New York and I wanted to go see New York City. And so he said, the uh, pastor sent me uh, uh, to New York City and he put me in a car and paid for the car uh, to take me to New York City. And the car came and dropped me off where I asked to be dropped off and I was walking uh, along the way and I went shopping and went a couple places and, and for a few hours uh, I was gone from the car. So I'm getting ready to go home. I'm ready to get back. I got to preach that night. My friend tells me and he says uh, I pick up the phone uh, to call the pastor and ask him how I can get on the train to get back to Bridgeport. And the pastor tells him he says don't get on the train. Go back to the same corner where the car dropped you off. Uh, he, he says, uh, my friend tells me, he says, I told the pastor, he said, uh, why would I go back where he dropped me off? I'm, I'm ready to go home. I asked him to drop me off. There's no way he could still be there. He said, oh, no, we paid him to take you the entire way. God, help me. So the same car that dropped you off in New York, God, help me, is the same car that's going to take you back to Bridgeport. Not for any old reason. But because I paid the cost, God help me. And is there anybody here who knows that you serve a God that's going to take you all the way? Not just because of any old reason, but because he paid the cost. Is there anybody here? I said, is there anybody here?
I feel like preaching now. Grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, he's going to take you the rest of the way. You might feel like you've been dropped off, but the Lord is going to take you the rest of the way. Find somebody that feels like getting happy now and say, neighbor, the Lord is going to take you all the way. He's going to take you from faith to faith. He's going to take you from glory to glory. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, you're in a season of promotion. Some of y'all beginning of the week limping around limping around my house I could barely walk I told my wife I was going to try to preach sitting down but I told the Lord if you strengthen me one more time I'll come in the house and give you glory is there anybody here who said I dealt with pain all week long but the Lord has brought me brought me here and because I'm in the building I owe God and then get in my seat. I gotta get y'all out of here by 11 o'clock now. So I told y'all to be praying for my parents. A few weeks ago, I came before you and asked you to pray for my mother and father. I didn't tell y'all what was going on because I didn't have permission. But now I got permission to tell the story. So about a year ago, my parents got in some financial trouble because they're doing ministry and they pour all their money into their church. And so now there was a creditor coming, threatening to take their house from them. They were in foreclosure and the bank said, we want the whole balance that you owe us. Over a hundred thousand dollars or we're taking the house. Now that went on for an entire year. My parents tried to pray it away. They didn't tell me or my sister what was going on. But about two months ago, it got to a head. My parents called and told me and my sisters that they were about to lose their home. That if we came 
on Thanksgiving. They would not have the house that we've grown up in, that we were going to lose, lose their home. And I had never heard, oh Lord, I had never heard my daddy say that he was afraid of anything. But he was on the phone with me and he said, son, we don't know what to do. We might lose, lose our house, but we're trusting in the Lord. And so I called my sisters up and we began praying. We began trusting. We began doing all that we could do. But it seemed that nothing could be done. So when I they were having a hearing with the bank and the judge told them if the bank presents the promise then we're going to allow them to take the home immediately we're not going to give you a grace period but when you get out of court you're going to have to go pack up your house they're coming to change the locks and put a for sale sign outside of Pastor Lonnie and Pastor Deborah's home and I cried and I cried I stood up here and I preached faith to you while my heart was broken while I was praying for my mother and father and on October 28th I called my mother on Monday morning and I said mama what time is the hearing because me and my staff I'm gonna have them to pray for you and my mama said tears in her eyes crying in her voice she said did you get my text I said no mama I didn't get your text she said Josh don't play with me you just want me to say it out loud did you get my text I said no mama I did not receive a text from you my mama said put your phone down hang up look at your text and then call me back again I opened up my phone and it wasn't that easy I didn't have a text from my mama but I had a text from my older sister and what the text said was the bank called to make a deal the bank said we can't find the promissory note we can't find proof that you owe the debt so this is what we're gonna do we wanna make a deal with you all you gotta do is pay what you owe that's past due and we'll let you keep the house now that's not the shouting part that didn't shout me because even with the past due my parents still owed almost fifty thousand dollars that they didn't have but then i called my mama and i said mama that's good news now all we gotta do is believe god for the fifty thousand dollars she said oh you must not arrange all of angels text she said because the bank said we don't even know how much you owe so if we could just settle from fifty thousand dollars down to three 